All right, I'm here with a friend, frequent colleague, and content collaborator, Brett Hornig. Brett, uh, I'm sure it's debatable, but at least for me, this is the best time of the year. We're about a week away from the 2023 Ultra Trail du Mont Blanc, the CCC, the OCC, the rest of the series, and uh, to, to share in the excitement and to make sense of all the hype and the top athletes competing and the demands of the course and just all of the storylines around it, what we're doing this episode. You know, I, I always laugh because a lot of a lot of times when we record these, we're we're just finishing up a conversational pace episode, so it's it's redundant to say how's it going, how are you doing, but uh, for the sake of uh, dramatic effect and just kind of like the the conversational nature of all this, what's up with you? You know, we just uh, recorded a great uh, shoe review. Uh, head over to the conversational pace channel to see what we're talking about. Um, shameless plug. It's a uh, smoky as all hell here in Ashland, which is a bummer. I've been uh, making you know, really good friends with the treadmill, but you know, I'm going to live vicariously for the next week through everyone, uh, hanging out and, you know, competing over in Chamonix. Yeah, dude, it's like as a trail running or as like an ultra running fan, uh, Christmas comes twice every year, you know, once at the end of June and then once at the end of August. <laughs> so that's pretty cool. Uh, you know, there's so many interesting storylines surrounding, uh, all the races this week. And, you know, I think, you know, this episode, we're going to dive into CCC and UTMB on the men's side. And then tomorrow we're going to do the same on the women's side. But, uh, yeah, we, this is going to be a fun one. Um, yeah, we've got some, we've got some knowledge bombs, many knowledge bombs. And, uh, I think broadly speaking, just to, just to kind of get into it and we'll probably free form a lot of this, but you said Christmas comes twice a year, which I think is an awesome way to describe this in relation to other awesome stuff in our sport, but what particularly about this race, about this series gets you stoked versus, you know, Western States and the trail world championships and the golden ticket series and all that kind of stuff. So Western States is really cool because you have like the whole golden ticket series. And then it leads up to like, to me, what is like the first big major, like hundred miler of the year. And there's a huge number of names that we follow that participate in that race. So it's very exciting. There's also a huge number of names, especially across the European side of the world that don't run Western States that we know are gearing up for UTMB. So we don't get to talk about those people yet. There's also a huge number of people that go from Western States to UTMB to try and attempt that double. So then we also get to talk about that. Um, we get to talk about, you know, the short window of time between Western States and UTMB and how there has been some success there in recent years. There's been a lot of, um, not success. Maybe it's because it's been getting harder to be competitive at both. Um, but you know, it's just one of those interesting things. There's been, um, like the women's side has had huge success at UTMB. The men I would say have been in a bit of a drought, I would say like, that's, I think that's a fair statement. Um, so when, when that happens, it's always kind of fun to talk about like, is this going to be the year when we get onto the very top of the podium? And, you know, and maybe, I don't know how many more years it takes for us to sound like a broken record if it doesn't happen, but I don't think this is the year to sound like a broken record. Um, because I think it's still very exciting to see if, if an American man wins UTMB, I think we've got some good chances, but um, it's not going to be easy. It never is. 
And yeah, I think for, for all those reasons, you know, it's going to be exciting. The, the other thing too, is like, we're getting like two kick-ass live streams, kick-ass, like the Western States live stream is great. This UTMB live stream is also great. Like you get to, we get to sit in the comfort of our own homes and watch this race front and center. I know that there's a lot of people who say like, Oh, it's way better to be there. But like, you don't get to watch the men's and women's races when you're there. Like you just don't, we get to because of this awesome live stream. This UTMB coverage is brought to you by Oladance, wireless Bluetooth headphones, which deliver 19 hours of battery life, superior sound, the ability to still safely hear your surroundings and an open ear design. So you can wear them for a long time without ear pain. If you're interested, head over to oladance.com forward slash ST and use code ST at checkout for $30 off their OWS2 headphones. Also, thanks to Pillar Performance, a sports micronutrition company that I was introduced to after having Sam Parsons from Tin Man Elite on the show a while back. I use their pineapple coconut flavored triple magnesium product, which delivers high potency magnesium glycinate for better sleep and added recovery during my training blocks. If you're an American-based listener, head over to thefeed.com forward slash pillar and use code SINGLETRACK in all caps for 15% off your order. For international listeners, the same code gives you the same discount. Just go to pillarperformance.shop instead. Finally, thanks to Kodiak Cakes, makers of my favorite pancake mix. It doesn't just taste great. It's also 100% whole grain and packed with 14 grams of protein per serving that helps with recovery. Go over to their website, get yourself a few boxes of the mix, and in the process, use code SINGLETRACK15 at checkout for 15% off your next order. With that, let's get to the show. Well said, and I'm glad that you mentioned in particular the the drought on the men's side there. I know this is a a long lamented or you know often discussed scenario at UTMB where for whatever reason uh, the men have have struggled to achieve greatness there. I was thinking about it last year in particular, 2022, highest placing American man at UTMB was Jim Walmsley in fourth place by American standards. That's unacceptable. Uh, on the CCC <laughs> side of things, uh, Caleb Olson, 13th overall. Again, like amazing yeah. day for Caleb, but in the context of American potential there, like we, we need to do better, right? Um, and, I, and it kind of makes me think of like, you know, like in the Olympic committee days of like, okay, how are we going to like manufacture gold medals? How are we going to reverse engineer what it takes to get like three of our best on the podium? Uh, you know, I think we're starting to see the wheels turn in some athlete's mind in that way. I mean, Jim is in year two of this uh, multi-year experiment embedding himself in those French mountains, becoming one with the poles, one with the pack, one with the mountains to get this thing right. And uh, others are kind of taking similar stances. I feel like this is the year where the most amount of athletes that I can recall are on the ground in Chamonix or somewhere at altitude in the French Alps, like weeks ahead of time getting ready. So that excites me. Um, But the one, I think, overarching thing that I'll, I'll just add to what you said about why I'm excited. It's a, the concentrate. It's the greatest concentration of talent in our sport. I would argue in the most beautiful arena at the right time of year in terms of people peaking and stuff like that. And I think if you care about competition and all of the entertainment that it provides for fans of the sport, like you and I, you sort of lament the fact that it's hard to get depth at a lot of these races. UTMB has never had that problem. And it's interesting because I mean, I think we all kind of were, I know I was, worrying that 
whether this new qualification system through the UTMB World Series was going to shallow the field, and it didn't. We saw a bunch of athletes sort of like get in line, buy in to the extent that we can say they bought in and do the qualification mm-hmm. system. Maybe there were some backdoor deals and phone calls from figurative smoke filled rooms of the organization to get other athletes in. I don't know. Frankly, I don't care. I'm just stoked that they're all there on the start line. So for me, that's the other bit I would just say is like, this is the race where everybody is there and they're there to throw down and they're kind of peaking at the right time. Yes. Yes. The, the depth is the most deep at UTMB. (laughs) Um, and that's just a fact. And yeah, kind of like you said, like I'm like the qualification system this year was a total shit show. And, but at the same time, I'm glad that the rules changed like four times over the course of the year, because ultimately the reasons why the rules changed were to get more people into the race. Yeah. And that's what I'm all for. Like I'm all for making these elite fields as big as possible. And in January or like, you know, December of last year, that was not what was in place was not in favor of the biggest elite fields with how people have gotten invited via the, like the, the second chance qualifier index score thing. We could have an entire episode about all the rule changes this year, but yeah. basically with some of the things that have been added, the ability to send an email to drop up or down in distance has given athletes a little bit more flexibility to choose that. the distance that they do want to, to go in on, which I like that as well, because it's, it's caught like, like, um, yeah, like some people are now running CCC instead of UTMB and vice versa. And I don't think that like, you know, I don't think like, well, I guess the debate, uh, one of the debates would be like, what's, is CCC still less competitive than UTMB this year? I mean, last year on the women's side, CCC was more competitive than UTMB. On the men's side this year, it's probably pretty close as well. So it's like, I don't think there's like any, any shame or anything in running CCC instead of UTMB. Cause like, it's not, it's not a cop out. Like, I think you have to try just as hard to win and for an athlete to then not be pitted in like a distance that they might not necessarily want to run. Like that's going to bring a better race out of them when they get to run the race that they want to run. So ultimately at the end of the day, like it's going to make for higher quality competition. Um, so, you know, with all that being said, I'm, I'm glad that they just kind of went back to their old ways and UTMB just kind of let people do whatever they wanted. And to your point, I'm also glad that, to my knowledge, nobody got hurt in the process of trying to qualify for this race. It was very, it, it was very scary there for a moment, wondering if 100 miles of Istria right after a schemo season might have done in Jim Walmsley, and he wasn't going to make it to the start line. From what we've seen on social media, from what we've seen on Strava, it appears like there was sort of like an uncertainty period there, maybe in May, early June, but we just saw him sort of come out of the darkness a couple weeks back saying, I feel amazing. I feel ready to go. And, uh, so he's just one of them, but like, I am just so thankful that no one got hurt and that there were some concessions well, where like, you there is one to, who got hurt. Killian. That's right. Well, did he, but that was, wasn't that more from like being in the Himalayas and almost dying? Well, no, it wasn't like an impact injury to an avalanche. I mean, I think it's, he probably wasn't running a whole lot in the Himalayas and then probably came back home and then started running a lot. Yeah. And he had a bone injury. So not, not necessarily, that's not as a result of the UTMB qualification system, but just like perhaps the most notable withdrawal of this race is the returning champ, Killian Jornet, which 
which ruined all 10 coming back from last year. <laughs> I'm just going to say it. Like that was one of the like stats that I wrote down. I was like, we have nine, nine of the, the 10. top 10 returning from UTMB. So to say that it's a down year is 100% false. Patently false. And it also, I mean, I'm sure you feel the same way to me. It it's, it kind of shows that this is, whether we want to accept it or not, declare it as much, it is the default championship for 100-mile racing in the sport, and people have accepted that, and there's continuity among the best in the sport returning as long as they're healthy. Like, you know, obviously, two notable people that were missing, Francois Dane, Killian Jornet. It's probably not that they don't want to be there, especially for Killian, he wanted to be there, but I think both mm-hmm. have been just throughout the year nursing injuries, Francois in particular. So if everybody can be there, they're going to be there, which is, it's cool. Yeah. And, and part of, I mean, and a lot of people will say like, oh, whoever wins this year, it, they'll be like, well, Killian didn't run, you know, well, Francois didn't run. I don't care about that. If you win UTMB, you win UTMB because one of the hardest parts of winning UTMB is getting to the start line. That's right. Like if you don't make it to the start line, you have no chance at winning UTMB. So like you beat, if you finish the race, you beat everyone who drops out. Like DNFs show up below that time. Yep. You got to make it to the start line. So if, if someone, whoever wins this race, like they're just as much of a champion as Killian winning last year. And I think too, there is a fixation on, I don't want to call them bygone eras, but just like the eras that people enter into the sport as fans. So they kind of remember the athletes associated with that era vividly. There are people that are you know, if they're not right there with Killian and Francois, they're, they're basically right there in the same category in terms of talent. Like I don't want to discredit or overlook people like Matthew Blanchard and Tom Evans, who are sort of like part of the next generation of great hundred mile mountain runners and specialists at UTMB that will give anybody in the field just as much a run for their money and kind of fill in nicely as like sort of the superstars in the event that, that Killian and Francois typically are. So hundred percent agreement that the star power is still there. The depth is still deep quote patent pending Brett Hornig. It's still deep and going to be super exciting. And whoever wins this race has to be very proud of it. And there's no asterisk. And you know, that's also one of the other things that, makes this race really exciting similar to the men's side of western states this year in that i don't really see this as anybody's race to lose there's a lot of opportunity for many people this is their race to win but it's not really i don't know if i would say there's one person that's like the clear favorite it's their race to lose if killian was starting this race he would be that guy like it would be his race to lose but there's a lot of opportunity. A lot of the people starting this race are going to see a massive opportunity to win because they have just as much chance as anyone else. They don't need to rely on someone else having a bad day to win. If they just have, I bet there's at least 10 people who think if I have the day I know I can have, it doesn't matter how anyone else does. My good day is going to be good enough to win. When you have 10 people who are thinking like that, it's going to make for a very exciting race. You think that the the pool of people that can win this race is about 10 deep? I bet it's at least 10 deep. I mean, there's, yeah, I mean, I bet there's, I bet there's closer to 20 people who have the fitness on the start line to win the race. But then like of those 20 people, 10 are probably going to drop out. 
of the 10 who are still going, five of them are going to have good days. Two of them are going to have great days. Yeah. And then a couple more of them will have like average days. Yep. And like, it just depends on like who then makes the best decisions midway through the race. Like who's going to have the best decision making and the, the clearest of race consciences. Yep. Yeah. hundred percent. One of the listener viewer spicier takes on, uh, on Instagram was that there will be 20 people, at least in the first half of the race, uh, on that sub 20 hour finish pace. And, uh, that you would see like 85% attrition from that. So I think, yeah, at, at least at the very beginning of the race, we'll see sort of maybe the first, uh, the first quarter of the elite part of the field on sort of a, a reckless sub 20 hour, uh, mission. And, you know, at Cormier, we'll, we'll, we'll separate the wheat from the chaff. So they say. So I wouldn't say we're going into like the previews of the names right now, but for that sub 20 hour pace, like last year, it it wasn't like, it wasn't perfect sub 20 hour splits. I think they could have gone out a lot slower and still run sub 20 hours and finished a lot harder. Cause like even Killian and uh, Matthew Blanchard, like they were suffering towards the end. Like Jim blew himself up coming off of grand Cole for yep. Tom Evans was starting to sweep up, but he was also hurting. Like everyone was blowing up still. Um, I think if the group collectively was like, all right, we're teaming up and we're all trying to run as fast as possible and not break each other. I think they can go even quite a bit faster. I guess with, with where I'm getting with this is traditionally the way UTMB starts out is like a stupid fast start through downtown Chamonix. And it's like, almost 10 K of pretty flat running before going up into the trails. And it's always entirely too fast. Who on this group is leading that charge to set this tempo. Um, Cause like last year it wasn't Jim. It wasn't Killian. You know, they like just ran with the group. Like who's the one who's actually like, I'm not afraid to just do the standard ass UTMB six minute pace start. <laughs> like who, who are those people? I think the easy answer is Ludo. I was going to say Pau Capel and Pau Capel, but I think Ludo is also in that category. I think Pau Ludo is not afraid to just like do whatever anyone else does. Um, but like if it was up to him to start out fast. Yeah, I could, well, he was his famous year though. He came back from like 50th, but that wasn't his choice. He felt like garbage. Yeah. Zach. Zach, Zach Miller. Zach Miller. Yeah. I think Zach Miller could be the one to be like, no, we're keeping it honest from s- step number one. Um, Cause t- to that point in, you know, you and I were in our early thirties. There's a lot of people that kind of are as fans are in like our cohort of uh, runners that are sort of in their prime or it's like the time is kind of now because you're in that like, age 34 to 38 window where like from like a long distance ultra standpoint, like you're at that era of your life. We're going to get the most out of yourself. People like Zach Miller are in that category. People like Jim Walmsley are now in that category. The list goes on. And I think of people like Zach and I think he's going to, my prediction is that he's going to have one of those, like why not this year attitude or like, if not now, when type attitudes about the race. So, cause he's already gotten a ninth, like a sixth and a fifth at this race. And then a DNF the other he year. He won CCC. Won CCC. Like he has nothing to prove at this race. So why not leave it all up there? Yeah. 
And it's funny that you say that because I feel like a lot of people are training that way. Like, I don't know if it's just that we've been paying attention to the training of this race closer than other years in the past, but it really feels like of those people who are like publicly putting everything on Strava, which is a good number of people, (laughs) it just feels like the training blocks are bigger this year than they were last year and the year before. Like, people are running a lot and people are spending people have gone out to europe earlier and people are running a lot right now it's it's like how you know like fashion or music is is circular like is in vogue then it goes you know out of fashion for you know two or three decades but it comes back it's like guess what people overtraining is back in vogue Yeah, it's like we're seeing we're seeing 2008-2009 uh, volume numbers again. Though I will say we talked about this a little bit. Why might it work better this time around than in 2009? And I think it was two reasons. Um I think we were talking about this in the Discord channel. The first reason is people are racing less. You know, back in like your 2005 to 2012 type range, these top guys were racing every single month all out while running 140 miles a week. It's too much racing. It's the race intensity. Well, at least that's what I think now might be the race intensity that gets to you, um, in the long term in terms of overtraining syndrome, than the training intensity. The other thing is proper fueling and nutrition. You know, it used to be cool to set out on a four hour long run with one handheld and one goo. That's not cool anymore. Now you load up a pack, you bring, 7,000 calories with you, just all the fanciest sugars and you eat all of that. And then you eat even more fancy sugars and fancy proteins after you finish. And you're actually properly recovering. We're seeing this in the cycling world too. The mid rate, the mid run fueling and the post run fueling is allowing for quicker recovery and it's allowing for actual building which I think those who are doing their best job of eating and actually consuming huge amounts of carbohydrates throughout their week on their runs are sustainably able to put together larger training blocks, which is part of the reason why we're also seeing less injury as well, because we're not getting to that point in training where you get so empty that your body dumps a bunch of cortisol into your bloodstream and you don't have huge amounts of inflammation. Then, you know, you actually get to spend more time building than just fixing. Um, and I think that's what we're seeing, like high carb fueling, so hot right now. <laughs> so hot. <laughs> 100%. And we were talking about this offline, and I, I don't think that this is a quote-unquote hot take anymore. I, I really think it's just a take, and I'm going to die on this hill because I think it's important to state out to the masses. I think that this is the year 2023 is the year where we finally concede that being anything less than a full-time committed athlete to these types of races is the ultra running equivalent of bringing a knife to a gunfight it's not just people like tom evans and ruth croft that have these massive teams around them that are using you know lactate monitors and core body temp devices and Mm -hmm. you know uh taking all of these exotic nutritional strategies into account and living at altitude, you know, in Teague for the four weeks before the race, everybody is following suit now. Like we're seeing a record number of people in Chamonix four to six weeks before the event, this whole myth of like the 40 hour work week, plus being a full-time runner, plus like having a great social network. 
I think it's going extinct. And the reason why it worked until now is because everybody was doing it, but we're finally hitting that, like crossing the chasm point of no return mm -hmm. where people like Tom are no longer in the strong minority. They are becoming the norm. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yep. You don't see any top tier professional cyclists who have day jobs. No, no. Like, and, and the running world has always been like six to 10 years behind cycling. Um, you know, probably in this professionalism case, we're probably like 30 years behind cycling, but <laughs> yeah, like you said, we're catching up. Like you're getting to that point where like kind of need to be a full-time athlete, especially when, like we were just saying, like these big training blocks, like when you're running 25 hours a week, that's just the time that you're running. We're not talking about the prehab or the rehab right? or the gym work or the PT right. work. It's an easy 40 hour a week job. Easy. Easy. Like I... Yeah. And I, I've stuck to that like ever since college, like people are like, I don't know how I could be a full-time runner. I would, I don't, I don't know what I'd do with myself. How could you not be time? How could you not be easy? It would be easy to be a full time. Well, it would be easy to be a full-time runner. I'm not saying it would be easy to be good at running once I'm a full-time runner because I don't know how much better I would actually get. I don't think I could, yeah. I don't think I'd be beating Jim Wamsley if I became <laughs> a full-time runner, but I'm saying it would be easy for me to be a full-time runner. I could do it. And I would love it. I would too. And to reiterate what you said, if anybody out there watching or listening to this thinks that the extent of being a full-time runner is just running 25 hours a week and then sitting on your couch and watching Netflix, you are incredibly misinformed. There's like at least eight other very committed bullet points that go into your your day-to-day -day work, um, including logistical stuff, including mm -hmm. all the physio stuff, the mental training etc. Um, it's, it's a full-time job. I mean, Pau Capel is still training 30 to 40 hours a week before he gets into all the extra nuts and bolts stuff. Yeah. And if there's any, uh, you know, brand executives or managers out there that think it would be fascinating to see what's like a bubble runner like me has always been like, uh, how much better <laughs> they would get as a full-time athlete, just like as an experiment, if they think that would be fascinating, feel free to reach out. We can work something out. I will go 12 months of professional athlete and we could see what happens. I would do it. Dude, dude, that is such a brilliant idea. And we should pitch that. Like, what if, what if we created a segment of this podcast or an entirely new podcast altogether, documenting, taking, well, you you know, you're, you're, you really are on that like elite threshold, but like taking, I've always a, been right on the, right bubble. on the bubble, but, um, yeah, taking a sub elite or threshold elite runner and giving them all those resources and seeing how they do after a year, and we document it along the way. I would, I would eat that up. That'd be so good. I always thought it'd be fascinating. Like we talked about this in college. We we're like, what if they chose someone from like a D three school, and they were just like, you, you have a five year contract with the Bowerman Track Club. You're gonna go move to Portland, and you just get everything that they want. Like, how good does that person get? Um, we're getting, we're, we're tipping in the long idea. run archives. We're tipping know, in the long run archives, uh, talk right now, but, uh, yeah, that would be, that would be really fun. Um, so there's the pitch. Yep. Move back onto UTMB. Um, so I had said nine of the top 10 are returning from last year. We've also got second and third place overall from the hard rock 100 are coming back to UTMB on this men's side and five of the top 10 from Western States are running UTMB. Mm. 
No, actually, they're running at UTMB because Cole Watson is actually running OCC. Yep. It, it, yeah. Anyways, first and second place overall at Western States are running UTMB. And that's kind of cool because it not too often do you have the winner from Western States do UTMB. Not too often. Well, I guess it's the same amount often. We're now eligible for a double victory on both the men's and women's sides. I don't think it's ever happened on the men's and women's side. So I know on the men's side, the only person to have won Western States and UTMB in the same year was Killian Jornet. 2011. The first person to do it on uh, the women's side was, was it 2008? Nikki Kimball uh, in 07. Nikki Kimball, 07. Um, yeah, I'm just pulling up the sheet here. Yeah, I, I got these stats if you want. I can run us through some Western States double stats, which are Western States UTMB double stats if you want. They're pretty fascinating. And this is also credit, huge credit to Aid Station Fireball for compiling these, by the way. Yeah. The, the one that I thought was fascinating that I just didn't realize was the first person to ever attempt the Western States UTMB double was none other than the ultra marathon man himself, Dean Carnazzi's. <laughs> Seventh place at Western and then went to UTMB and had to drop at Trient. I just thought that was fascinating. That was 2004. The first person to finish the double was 2007, Nikki Kimball, yep. who won Western States in UTMB. Yep. And then uh, in 2011, Killian won Western States at UTMB. So the two-point scorecard has already been completed on both the men's and women's sides. But that was the last time... That was the last time it happened. The last time a Western States champion ran UTMB was, I think, Jim Walmsley. Okay. And Beth Pascal in 2021. Yep. yep. Both of them were drops, though. Going back to the last time someone won Western States and then just finished UTMB. We are going back to 2013 when Timothy Olson won Western States and then got fourth at UTMB. That was the last time a Western States champion then finished UTMB. So this Arguably year we have Tom the Evans. best American male double. Tim Olson's yes. 2013, I would argue, is the best. And then T Seth Swanson's close, but Tim Olson's got probably the best performance Western States UTMB double on record to date. Yeah, because Seth in 2015 got second at States and fourth at UTMB. Yep. That same year, David Laney got eighth at Western States and then third at UTMB. Um, yep. Not too often do you see an improvement from placing at Western States to UTMB. Usually it's worse. Yep. So this year, Tom Evans, Western States champ, has the opportunity to win UTMB and become the second male to uh win both and then we'll we'll dive more into it on the women's side but like we also have courtney to walter which i think this is the first time we have both champs running utmb after winning western states so some very potential historic storylines uh on tap one more stat that i want to throw out there so and we can talk about the women's side in our episode tomorrow but there have been 27 men from the elite field in the last 17 to 18 years that have gone after this double there have been six of those men finishing in the top 10 in both western and utmb 
six that DNF'd UTMB in the second half of that. Sorry, uh, 15 that DNF'd and six that finished but finished outside the top 10. So you're looking at 21 of the 27 that have attempted this having a pretty suboptimal result by their standards, all of sort of the mythology around how difficult it is to execute this thing does bear out in the statistics. It's, it's very, it's like if you're finishing yes. in the top 10 in both races, you are accomplishing something very impressive. Yes. According to the stats, there's like a 50% chance that you're going to drop out after yeah. doing Western States. And, and even if we throw out the early years and just look at, you know, the last two or three years, the percentage of dropping actually goes up. Like I'm just looking at, I'm looking at 2021. So in 2021, this was a significant year in 2021, we had seven people, men and women attempt the Western States UTMB double. You know how many of the seven finished UTMB? How many? One. And it was Emily Hoggood. Everyone else dropped. That was a so wicked six year she drops. had too. Yeah, she raced so much that year. And then, interestingly, last year we had three people attempt the double. It was Tyler Green, Marianne Hogan, Emily Hoggood. All three of them finished. So, wow. what, so we, we know nothing. We know <laughs> nothing. That's what I've just concluded by trying to create some sort of fact right there. You know, I, I think um, it was I think it was Ben Demon that said it in one of his most recent blog posts before UTMB. Our understanding of peak performance in this sport is still incredibly limited, and in a lot of scenarios, it's a crapshoot. And so, yeah, there's this is we're still on a fact finding mission in a lot of these uh, these scenarios for our sport. Absolutely, I would say another interesting storyline for this year which I think the only person to have brought this up in your pre-race interviews was Tom Evans is the weather. Yeah. Like, yeah. You know, we, we Americans love talking about the weather. Um, <laughs> and it's true, but Tom brought up something very interesting that I hadn't really realized how this time of the year in the Alps, when a heat wave comes through, it's almost always followed by an equally as violent swing of weather in the opposite direction. So last week when you talked to Tom, it was very hot in Chamonix and I've seen, I saw in Strava, like the weather looked beautiful all the time. I just saw some Instagram stories this morning, just dumping rain, just so much water. The weather's getting moody. I was talking to Cole Watson out there and I was like, dude, this is going to be an exciting OCC for you. And he was like, yeah, I'm going to have to showcase my athleticism a little bit more than normal. Yep. So that's this is interesting that Tom brought that up. So we're looking at like 50s, maybe 60 in Chamonix on like the lowest point of the course. Um, wind, potential rain, um, Friday night into Saturday and into Saturday evening. That means potential snow or a really cold rain on any of the higher sections of the course. This changes things. Last year was very much a pretty mild weather year. We thought it was going to be were bad. Out there. We, we thought it was going to be bad, but it ended up being okay. Like they were, they were, they were sort of sounding the alarm that maybe some yeah. alt weather routes were going to be taken, bring your, you know, your winter route pack, you know, make all these additions to your pack and it ended up being a beautiful year to run the course. Do you know if they've made that call yet on whether they're going to institute the winter, the cold weather kit? 
or not yet this year? Have they made that? I don't call? know. I don't know. But like as Tom was saying, he expects snow. He yeah. And granted, it was ten days up, but he's expecting snow on parts of the course. And so yeah, we're recording this on Saturday, August twenty sixth. Obviously, you know this particular part of the episode might not age well, but uh, I anticipate announcements being made you know very soon on all of that and if we missed that we apologize but yeah. uh well and like even just closer like the forecast for chamonix on tuesday is like 46 degrees is the high and sleet slash snow yeah which means if that holds up all the peaks are going to get dumped on yep so i don't know I, I, this might last year i mean Killian falls into both the runner and mountain man category, but last year it was much more a race for the runners. Whereas I think this year, if the weather holds, the advantage will go to the mountain survivalists a lot more. Like those who have big mountain experience, understand layering, have good gear. I think that's going to be more important this year than last year. I don't know if this is the midterm exam or the final exam for Walmsley's tenure in France, but I feel like this is exactly what he went out there for was to make sure that he got really comfortable in high French help inclement weather. Because, you know, I know in years past, especially in 2018, for example, what felt like part of his kryptonite was the cold, the snow, the rain. Yes. Whereas he's always been somebody that's just been an absolute beast in the heat. It doesn't phase him. If anything, it like somehow strengthens him. And this has yep. seemingly been a part of his kryptonite. So I'm I'm really curious to see on race day whether this is a factor or a non-factor for him, given that he's now had a whole season of schema under his belt. He understands how to use the pack. He understands, you know, when and where to to put certain articles of clothing on, all that stuff. I think it is very fascinating. Yeah, I think this is, dude, this is the final exam. It's UTMB. You've been in France for like, what, 16 months at this point? Yeah. Um, 18 months. Um, This is his final exam as it's going to get. But then like, yeah, so like how much, like, you know, like Zach Miller, he's, he's a mountain man. He lived up at like bar camp, like, freaking just like hucking oh, gallons yeah. of water up the mountain in the snow uphill both ways that probably froze midair <laughs> yeah like zach understands you know living in the mountains you know like you know I, i'm curious like like tom evans doesn't come from big mountains um so i know it's something that he said he's put like extra focus on you know in terms of like surviving in the mountains and getting through the mountains well because that's not something that comes super naturally to him Tyler Green, he's another one, like being from Portland, not coming from just like a life of mountain backgrounds, like very much had success in the more runnable races. Like how will Tyler do in super inclement weather? Um, I think that's going to be very, very interesting to see. And like, you know, a lot of these Europeans, you know, some of the French guys in this race, like who've just grown up and like lived in these Alps, I think are going to have a bit of advantage because it's when something like that can be more secondhand, um, you know, you don't have to think about it as much like that's, that's huge. That's, that's such a big advantage, especially on some of these parts of the course when, you know, later on, like when we're looking like past grand Col foray, some of these last three big climbs, um, even around grand Col foray too, that climb up to it, it'll be dark at that point 
pretty crappy there. Um, yeah, who's who's still able to make good decisions? You can't just simply run harder to create more body heat. Like that just doesn't work at UTMB. Like you need to be able to have the proper layers to stay warm and you have to know to put them on before you get cold. I know we're going to talk about Tom Evans a lot in this episode. I do want to say one more thing he he noted in his interview, which I found fascinating. And that is, look, whether people want to recognize it or not, UTMB is is kind of a high elevation race. Chamonix is one of the low points on the course. And maybe at one point in time, it was specific enough to base yourself out of Chamonix. Maybe if you're one of the cool kids, you go to Cormier. But he's like, no. The answer nowadays, it's Teague. You are living and training out of Teague if you want to appropriately get ready for this race. And I'm like, man, the... the Where is Teague? Teague, oh gosh, put me on the spot. It's sort of on that French-Italy border there. It's a little bit south of um, of Geneva, I think, like southeast of Geneva. I'll find it at some point, but all I know we'll is... Drop a, we'll drop a pin we'll, in the show notes. We'll drop a pin in the show notes. It's southeast of Geneva. I, I, uh, I got to get better at my French geography, but high altitude training location in the French Alps. Yeah. And, um, mm-hmm. it, you know, Tom is sort of like the, the benchmark right now in the sport for who to take clues from training for the demands of every single race. And, uh, this is where he's declared the location to be. So, okay. So that kind of transitions into a little bit of a preview, a little bit of training theory. Can you be, can you train for this race at too high of an altitude? My theory is yes, and I'll, let's hear it. I have no science to back it up, but this is what I'm thinking. So Zach Miller has put in one of the biggest training blocks I've ever seen on Strava. Like he's been logging like routinely between like 40 and 60,000 feet of vert per week for the last few months. He did like upwards of like a four or five week stint in Silverton. Um, we saw him there at Hard Rock. He was there for the better part of the whole month afterwards. He was there for the week beforehand, you know, running 30 hours plus per week on paper. That's incredible. You know, like 10 to 14,000 foot. We're mimicking all the climbs of the course. Jim did this in 2018. He did four weeks in Silverton. He was running 40 hours a week. He was running like 140 miles. He got in 40,000 feet of climbing. It was a whole bunch of fours. Yep. Everyone, he dropped out that year. Everyone says he burned himself out. Here's my theory. I think that that high altitude is too high for this race because you don't get to train at fast enough paces Mm. to get the body ready for a medium altitude race. 10,000 to 14,000 feet, you get aerobically incredibly strong, but you don't get to run at 4,000 foot paces 6,000 foot paces those that's like 20 30 seconds a mile faster so my thought is like Jim was aerobically so strong and he basically his lungs outran his legs at UTMB because his legs were not ready for the average pace that you need at a race that averages you know 6,000 feet not 10,000 feet I worry for Zach Miller in a similar way that I worried for Jim in 2018 because he's so strong. He's so fit, but like, you know, UTMB is a much faster race than hard rock because of how much lower it is. It's not low, but it's lower. So I'm curious if there's such a thing as training too high for a race. 
I think it's a good theory. And I don't I know. Think That's my theory. It, I think it's a really good theory. And I think uh, we'll have another year to see if it plays out. You're, are you referring to Jim's 2018 when he was like had that major camp in the San Juans and was, you know, yeah, climbing like he was 50K like, vert each week? Yeah. Yeah, they built like the compound over down out of like um, so cool Grand Swamp Pass. I think that's where it, it was. was at. So cool, yeah, yeah super yeah. cool. But like, I just wonder if like maybe just training out of like you know Boulder or Teague or Salt Lake, yep, is maybe maybe better. I'm just I'm, I don't know. Curious. Maybe I'll, I'm sure we'll get blasted by some people in the comments, but let's let's hear it. So, just in terms of what we got left. Um, I want to make, do you think, should we briefly just cover the demands of the course, like summarize the demands of the course before we get into like the men's fields and some of the storylines associated with them? Yeah. I mean, I think there's, there's definitely a few things. So like, like what, you know, I have some notes written down of like what one, what makes this course tricky? Yep. Um, you know, I think one of the trickiest parts of this course, especially as an American coming over and racing in Europe is a 6 PM start. Yes. That's tricky. Like the evening start, like you're already up all day. And then I don't think the like eating part's really that tricky because it's like still a hundred mile. Like you're going to, whatever's in your body, it's you're using it and you're going to start fueling again. But like the sleep deprivation is tough because it's like, how do, how do you deal with already being up for upwards of 12 hours and then your race starts? Normally you're up for like an hour before your race starts. So that's tricky. You go through the whole night first, which might be helpful because you you know it's the first first bit of the race, not the last bit. But um, a lot of the top ultra runners, like at Western States, we had so many people finish with it either light out or you know an hour of darkness in the you know at night. You know, not an entire night of like crappy mountain weather. So like that's one of the big challenges is just everyone's forced to go through the whole night. Um, okay. That's actually like one of the biggest challenges I wrote on the, well, the other big one is, um, kind of lack of aid at the aid stations. Yep. It's very different, you know, like Western States, it's all about carrying as little as possible between the aid stations. You have your crew, the NASCAR pit stops, <laughs> you get much less of that at UTMB. So, I mean, you're carrying a ton more crap with you you've got Killian sitting down at Cormier and taking the time to soup up some bicarb. Like he's, they're really relatively taking their time. Yes. Yeah. Like you don't blow through aid stations here. You eat your food. You make sure you have all your crap packed. You make sure you got your extra batteries because like it's a much more self-sufficient race. And that's another one of those things where like the advantage goes to a lot of the Europeans because many of these Americans, this is the only race of the year where they have to race with that style. Yep. Um, for many of the other Europeans, this is just normal. Yep. Um, so that's the other thing that makes this course tough. I mean, I don't know if we need to really go into like the elevation profile because like it's the course is very hard. I did write down like what just based off of watching the race the last few years, yeah, like yeah. what I think are a few pivotal moments. Like, do you have any like pivotal spots of the course from what you've seen? I think that I, you think are just like important. This UTMB coverage is also brought to you by Brooks. I first started using their products, especially the Cascadia eight way back in 2014 during a through hike of the Appalachian trail. 
Fast forward to 2023, and they have a new and improved Cascadia 17 shoe and a high point clothing collection that merges great performance and style. Check it all out over at brooksrunning.com forward slash single track. Also, thanks to Morton. I've been using their hydrogels, 225C bars, and caffeine drink mixes during all my key training runs and races this summer. It's sports nutrition made with all natural ingredients that go down easy and minimize palate fatigue so you can trust it during your longest efforts. Keep in mind, these are the same products used by top athletes like Tom Evans and Killian Jornet. So head over to Morton.com to take a look at what they got and try some for yourself. And finally, thanks to Features, makers of my favorite trail running socks. They're durable, they're comfortable, and they're stylish. And again, these are also trusted by many of the best athletes in our sport. If you'd like to give them a try, head over to their website, grab a few pairs, and use code SINGLETRACK20 at checkout for 20% off your next order. With that, let's get back to the show. I think I'll let you identify the pivotal spots, but I'll just say broadly speaking, if you think about the first half of the race, it's characterized by these much longer extended climbs and descents. And then when you get into the second half of the race and you start talking about like the climb up to like Tedavant and from Triant, you know, et cetera, they become steeper and more compressed. So there's almost like two different styles of movement that you have to rotate in between throughout the race. And then I, I would just say one more thing. And that is there's constantly a debate going on in every single runner's head about whether they should run or hike a section. And typically you can hike more of this race than you think and still be successful. Like our friend Ryan Gelfi did a little bit of math based on cadence data on Strava Fears back. And he's like, dude, I think like Francois was hiking like 34, 35 to 40% of his race of the year, he, the time he won in uh, 2017. So you can still be like a pretty good hiker and default to that a lot of the time and be successful. So I just wanted to preface that before you get into some of the key, key spots on the course. Yeah. Yeah. I actually, I remember that little hiking, hiking study. We dove so far into it, looking at so much Strava data and like most of the top 10 on the men's side are hiking nine plus hours of the race routinely in that 10, 11 range. And that's for 20 to 24 hours. Like that's almost 50% hiking for the winners like that is a significant amount of hiking so two spots of this course that are some of my favorites to watch are the first one cormier it's like 50 miles into the race you have to look good going into cormier if you want to have a successful utmb like that is almost foolproof like Almost nobody who looks like crap going into Cormier for one finishes or finishes well. It's the ones who are composed and looking very fresh and nice. Like to still have like, you know, they got this. If, if you have the stare, like, you know, it's already that point. Like if they forget to turn off their headlamp as they come into the gym in Cormier, that's a, that's a red flag. You know, if they're, you know, the people who are like, where am I, what's going on? Like, then you see Killian come in and plop down on a bench and just like go through his things. Cause like mentally he's still so much there. And then like, he's able to pop back up out of the bench and leave those people who look like that at Cormier have a much, much, much higher chance of having a very successful race. Um, and I'm not the only one to have said that. Like I've heard that from many people who run UTMB. They're like, you need to be feeling great at Cormier, like do what you need to do to feel great at Cormier. I, I can corroborate all of that. I, I spectated the Cormier aid station last year. 
the eye test is extremely reliable. Just seeing mm-hmm. the demeanor of these runners coming in, leaving. I would say one of the most iconic moments of last year was watching that sort of quartet of Killian and Jim followed closely by Zach Miller and Tom Evans coming in and out of uh, Cormier last year at like whatever, two or three in the morning. And, you know, mm-hmm. I, I didn't really think about it then, but in retrospect, you kind of could have predicted based on how they looked there, how they would have finished in Chamonix. The only person who seems to always buck that trend is Zach Miller. For because sure. he is the most frantic. Like, I guarantee at some point during this race on the live stream, we will see Zach Miller slip on the way into an aid station because of how fast he's taking turns through the towns because he like kicks in and out of every aid station. And like when you watch him take the stairs on the, I forget if it's out of Cormier or whatever, but you see him take the stairs. It'll be like, like (laughs) it's, it's so chaotic. And Zach's the only person who, seems to be okay with that um i'm glad you brought that up because one of the most the- theatrical moments that i think people will if, if you if you're paying attention you'll see it is there are these there's sort of like an arena where the aid station is at cormier and there are these you know clear swinging doors that the athletes sort of like triumphantly open and, and run out of and then like a a, a two-level set of concrete stairs that they have to like okay yeah quick step down and we're going to be watching the live stream and it's going to be so fun to see like Killian, Tom, you know, uh, Jim, they all looked pretty graceful. And I, I think it did check out your description of Zach. Like he was like hopping every other step. Yeah. Zach's like busting through those doors, like the freaking Kool-Aid man and just like <laughs> bombing oh, down yeah. the sets of stairs. <laughs> he's just bombing down the sets of stairs. Like he's got a pair of skates on, like, you know, I'm sure. How many people out there have seen Brink? I mean, everyone's seen the greatest <laughs> Disney movie of all time, Brink, and wanted to be an aggressive inline skater. Zach Miller, 100% on team Puppin' Suds, and he <laughs> plays by the rules, and he just wants to have fun. When you woke up this morning, did you say to yourself, today I'm going to talk, or today I'm going to skate? <laughs> <laughs> skate better (laughs) just skate better it's one of the great one of the greatest movies of all time it's it's a great movie yeah so going down the sets of stairs that reminded me of brink so that's how my brain works um the other spot on the course that i thought last year was a pivotal moment was coming down grand colferre that whole descent um, yeah. so that's when you grand Col Ferret, pass La Folie, but then you continue to descend for like five more miles before climbing to Champagne lock. That descent was fascinating because <clears throat> again, have you run, have you run the descent off grand Col Ferret? Like I'm just going off yeah. of what people have told me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It sounds yeah, like it's it pretty, mel- it's like a nice gradient and like pretty smooth for a lot of it. Um, like you can run pretty fast, sometimes almost too fast, which is what I saw last year. You could drive a golf cart on it. Okay. Yeah. So Jim made his move on Killian last year coming off Grand Col Ferret. Like Jim started to do gym things and like open up that stride, like looking like an antelope. Killian let him go. His Killian was like, I think this is too hard. Jim was like, this is my move. Jim ultimately kind of blew himself up 
coming down Grand Colferay. It did. It like it knocked some HP off of Killian though. Like it made Killian hurt because then <laughs> HP. You know, I don't know what else to call it. Like I'm thinking of it like Street Fighter and like Jim made a move. Killian got some HP knocked off of him. Jim made a lot of. It was a high risk, high reward move for yeah. Jim. But like we saw, you know, coming in like out of La Folie and like into Champagne Lock, like Matthew Blanchard catches up to Killian. And neither of them look that good because of the damage Jim put on everyone, including himself, out of Grand Colferre. The person who potentially was too cautious coming through all of that was Tom Evans, because then he started passing people and he was running really well. But like even still, the top four of Killian, Blanchard, Tom, Jim, none of them were running that well the last three climbs. And then it took like everything Killian had on the very last climb and descent to win the race. Yeah. So I, th- I'm curious that it seems like a, a new ish pivotal point in the course for me. Cause it's like, who can float grand Col foray the best and then still have legs to attack the next like three big climbs. I think those are going to be spots of the course to watch out for in terms of like when this course gets or when the race really gets broken open for the win. Spot on. Yeah. And I think, you know, maybe we can, maybe this is, uh, well, we can talk about it later too, but like analyzing historically the spots where people have most appropriately made a finishing move to go on to win or podium the race. I know again, Liam put together some amazing stance in this arena. Yeah. And at UTMB on the men's side, the most times the winning move got made was right in that middle chunk of the race between Cormier and La Folie. Yep. Um, like it came either like coming up Grand Colferre or coming down it. Um, that's where the most winning moves have been made. Last year was an extreme outlier with Killian not making his final move until mile like 96. Yep. After um, Valor scene. Very rare. The early years, the moves got made even earlier than that. Um, earlier than like Cormier, but I think we're also then looking into less competitive years. Um, you know, I think it's going to be more and more common now for there to be three, four, five people still together coming down, you know, even as late as Champagne lock at 120 K because that's just, I mean, that's where, that's how run, that's how running works. When you get everyone who's really good, you can't just break everyone halfway through with a third of the way through. Everyone's good enough to cover those moves early on. And then if you keep trying that, you end up breaking yourself. So then who, who has the, you know, the confidence to know that they can just hang and hang and hang and hang and then make their one move late in the race. One of the stats that stuck out to me and it was interesting because I think when we look at our Western state stats, for example, the, one of the takeaways was that you really have to be not just like in the mix, but really within like touch points of the lead and when Liam brought these stats to us, I found it fascinating that at Cormier, you can be a hundred and up to 110 minutes back, nearly two hours back of the race leader and historically still have a crack at top 10. 
Like you can basically, like the race is so extended is what I'm trying to say. Like you don't have to be right there with Jim, Killian, Tom, et cetera, to be vying for eighth, ninth, 10th place at this race by the halfway mark. And that's fascinating to me. Yes. Yeah. If you, if your goal is to top 10, I think you should run very smart. If you want to, uh, averaging it out, if you want to be in the top 10, you shouldn't be more than an hour back from the leader at Cormier. Yeah. But that's like an entire hour back. You know, we're looking a little over a minute, a mile slower yep. on average to Cormier and you can still run yourself into the top 10. Like it's yeah. very, very plausible. It's not even weird yep. if you're an hour back. You cannot say that about if you want to win this race. Like the statistics show if you want to win UTMB, you have to gamble early and hope for the best. And to some, that's worth not finishing. To others, it's not worth not finishing. But Le Contamine, uh, 30K, 18 miles into the race. If you want to win the race, you can't be more than two or three minutes off the lead. Cormier, 50 miles into the race. If you want to win the race, you can't be more than a few minutes off the lead. Yep. Like, uh, as Eric Lapuma the, says, questionable moves have to be made. Yeah. The largest deficit overcome at Cormier to still win the men's race that we have data for, at least from split data, was in 2019, eight and a half minutes. Like, mm-hmm. that's the biggest deficit that's been overcome from the halfway mark to win UTMB is eight and a half minutes. That's not even that far. Like, that's like one stop at Cormier. Like, that's how long people spend at the aid station. So if you want to win UTMB, you very much have to be in the mix the whole time, which is rolling some big dice. Okay. Should we, uh, should we go into just talking about the composition of this field? Like top overall contenders, top Americans, stuff like that. And we can weave in just interesting storylines through that discussion. Yeah. Yep. Definitely. Um, I separated my categories. Okay. I have returners, the top returners from last year. Yep. I have other favorites. And uh, I guess when I'm saying favorites, I think these are all people who could be in the top 10. Like we'll give our top five predictions, but I wrote down a whole bunch of names that I think could be in the top 10. I also wrote down pretty much any other notable Americans because we are American. (laughs) Most of our listeners are American. I'm going to put, I'm going to give some extra love to all the Americans that are in this race. So I wrote those down as well. Um, And that's, I mean, whether it's biased or not, I mean, that's our show. Like that's, yeah, of course. (laughs) Um, I also know more of these people so I can talk a little bit more about them. But like, so, I mean, the big three, the big four that we've got coming back from last year, we've got Matthew Blanchard second last year sixth place at Western States. We've got Tom Evans third at UTMB last year, first at Western States this year. So head to head, we've got Tom over Matthew already. If so facto, he lifted his Western weights. He lifted his Western weights. Um, Tom also had a second at black Canyon earlier this year. We also have Jim Walmsley third, fourth, fourth at UTMB last year winner of the Istria 100, which he then 
got hurt trying to bounce back for Worlds because Jim wanted to run Worlds. But he also had to run Istria to gain entry into UTMB. Had Jim, I mean, it's impossible to know. Hindsight's twenty twenty. He Had he known that he could have just run a shorter race and then emailed the RD and been like, I want to run UTMB, he could have done like the 100K at Istria, yeah. if that was a thing, or some 100K later on yeah. in the race and then gotten into UTMB. So that whole thing's a bummer. Like Jim, Jim broke as a product of a broken system because he tried to follow the rules. He also wanted to run Worlds. He got hurt. I don't know the extent of his injury. I do know that he had to take and a real amount of time off from running. And then he went full dark on Strava. All we have is a social media saying that he's fit and ready to go. How much of that is him having to say that for his sponsors? How much of it is him actually being really fit? I have no idea. I have my guess. I'm sure you have yours. We will both share those later. Um, those are, you know, those are, I would say, oh, I said big four. Zach Miller. Mm. Um, Zach was fifth at UTMB last year, right? And almost, I mean, yeah. really, if if the race was 1K longer, maybe 2K longer, he, he overtakes Wamsley in those finishing miles and takes fourth place. It was very close. Yeah, Zach, and, Zach was charging. Yeah. Um, Zach got sixth at the World Championships this year in Austria in the long trail race. He won the Tarawera 100 mile in February. Yeah, like we said, fifth at UTMB last year. Stupid large training block on Strava. Um, I wrote down Zach's biggest week that he put on Strava this year was about a month ago. 148.9 miles, 33 hours, 44 minutes, 58,763 feet of vert. For reference, Good Lord. When, every, when the world was freaking out about Walmsley's uh, stint in Silverton in 2018, Jim did a 40 hour week. And I think he ran about 140 miles and climbed 40,000 feet of vert. Somehow Zach ran more and climbed more in like significantly less time. You know, it's, it's been so cool that Zach finally got a GPS watch that can sync with Strava because there were many years there where he had a Timex watch up at bar camp and we were totally in the dark about his workout. We just knew the legends of his work ethic and all that kind of stuff. But, uh, he had, yeah, so this training block, this might not be the biggest training block Zach's ever done. No, no. as far as we know, this could be a normal, this could be a normal training block for Zach. Yep. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to find Jim's, uh, Silverton stint right now there were a couple 50k weeks in there of climbing if i recall correctly oh you know what they were 30 hour weeks not 40 hour weeks okay so jim's middle he did three weeks of this peak block jim's biggest one was 140 miles 31 hours fifty thousand feet of climbing you know what i want to see again similar similar to what zach's been doing you know what i want to see again in in this 2023 version of the event is the scene where maybe Jim does go out hard, but at mile 15, he just stops at the aid station and waits like and waits two or three takes minutes. An interview. <laughs> takes an interview, waits for like Killian and everyone, not Killian, but whoever's nice to catch up. Yeah. I want to see that scene again. I want to see like the was, confident Jim just like waiting. 
Was that that was the same year that Jim was also running up on like the bikes and the media guys telling them to get further away because they were pacing the runners. He was like getting pissed at them, yeah. like trying to act all, you know, pro cyclist being like, hey, hey, the guys in front, they're getting a free draft. They're saving 3% energy. Get out of here. I was like, dude, that, that brashness. Um, and by yeah, the I mean, way, you can't be taking that to a beginning of a hundred miler, but I loved it. It was good TV. Speaking of good TV, if we ever get to a point at single track where there's like three different cameras from three different angles trained on us for these recordings, I'll do that thing where like to make a monologue point, you like look to the left at this camera and like say something. I just want to say to Jim Walmsley, because Jim has provided so many theatrics at UTM over the last couple of years, like he truly, truly came back from the dead in 2017 to finish fifth, truly came back from the dead to finish fourth last year in 2022. I just want to thank him for the theatrics and in public giving this a go and always shooting for the moon. I hope he does it again this year. I hope he catches lightning in a bottle, but God damn, it has been so exciting. And I love that in a lot of these years, he has not given up, but yeah, in a, in a more fully funded single track moment, I am looking at like this camera over here in a monologue, just thanking him, but um, we only have this one. So no dramatic effect. Um, maybe next year. Anyways, maybe next year, maybe next year. Yeah. <laughs> You you want to rattle off a few names? Yeah, I mean, I think I love that you call them the big four. I think that that's a great way to describe them. I'm fully in agreement. Uh, a couple more that I would add in there. The first one is Petter Engdahl. Um, Wildcard. Talking with Wildcard. I was talking with Puma yesterday post interview, and he was saying that what Petter did at CCC last year, breaking the 10 hour barrier. That was the CCC ultra running equivalent of Roger Bannister breaking the four minute mile, you know, way back in whatever, 1956. And we got to put some respect on that. So he's been, Mm. he's really an impressive person in this scene. Um, you know, he's had a sort of a Jekyll and Hyde type year, notable DNF at Madeira in late April. I heard he was sick, so we can kind of scrap that one. I think a lot of the Tarek's team did get sick before that race, uh, 13th Mm -hmm. at the trail world champs, which I think is also an underperformance. But then, like, he won the Iger Trail 50K. He podiumed at Marathon du Mont Blanc just behind Remy Bonnet mm-hmm. and Eli Hemming, which to me demonstrates incredible range for someone that's trying to peak for an ultra distance 100K mountain event. And he's been based out of Chamonix the past three months. When he's in the wintertime, he's training with guys like John Albin in Norway in, on the Schemo mm-hmm. scene. So he's inserted himself. I'll also say I'm a fan of this guy because I think if you look closely, he's kind of a Ryan Gelfi doppelganger. And he's using Super Sapiens, which is a continuous glucose monitor, which makes you think he's a part of that whole like Tom Evans leave no stone unturned, high performance type athlete. So yeah, I'm I'm a fan. P- Petter Engdahl, do you have any thoughts mm, there? Yeah, I I worry about Petter Engdahl being so good at some of these still shorter races that the jump up to UTMB is going to be too big. Um, like I'm like this is a massive gap. Like breaking ten hours at CCC last year. And then winning UTMB, you're still adding, if you have an amazing day, you add 10 hours, like you literally double the time you're out there, you break the UTMB course record. Yeah. That's a big jump to go from nine and change to 19. Um, How well is he going to manage how stupidly slow it is and how much hiking there is? Like how good has Petter gotten at hiking? chill and like descending chill 
how, how's that muscle breakdown going to be? Like, it's just such a big jump up to the UTMB distance. Does he have the talent to win this race? Totally. I mean, what some of yeah. the runs that he's done has shown his ceiling is one of the highest up there. Yeah. I, will he have any difficulty running with the leaders through Cormier? No, like not at all. That'll probably feel stupid easy. Yeah. Will he get tired? I don't know. That's, I think, the storyline for Petter Engdahl. Will yeah. he get tired after your Cormier? Um, but that's a, gr- that's a great, great name of the non-returners. There is one more person that, at least one more person that I want to name, and that is who? Dan Jones. Dan Jones. Dan Jones. Dan Jones has been getting a lot of shout outs from notable folks. Tom Evans actually he has. Yeah. Tom Evans interrupted me mid sentence to put some respect on his name and say that he thinks Dan Jones is going to go top five at this event. Um, what I like about Dan Jones is he is living that elite athlete lifestyle. He's been training and living at altitude in Teague, training with Tom, Jordy Gamino, Scotty Hawker, Petter Engdahl, won Tarware earlier this year, gutsy fifth place finish at Western. We saw him at uh, Michigan Bluff looking pretty tough in dire straits, kind of wanting to throw in the towel, but you know, came back and finished fifth. Um, he's put in massive work since Western. I want to read this quote to you. He says, quote, for me, this is the year of pushing the limits and seizing opportunities. I know it's something we always strive for, but right now it's happening more than ever. I feel the different training environments. It's all helping me become a better endurance athlete. I need to set big goals in ultra running, and there's only one way to get to the top. That's putting in the effort and most importantly, immersing yourself among the best in the sport, end quote. He's very clearly done that. And uh, yeah, I, I feel like he might have just missed something slightly at Western. And this is sort of like the vengeance here at UTMB to really show what he's capable of. Yeah, I'm really curious about Dan Jones because like, yeah, Tom Evans, he was shilling Dan Jones hard. And like, my hard. question is, my question is, Why? And that's like no knock on Dan Jones, but like Dan Jones, he's like a, a flat, like last year he was like year one of running trail stuff and like was doing like Lake Sonoma hundred K like canyons, hundred K like trying to get into Western States. Western States is like the most mountainous race he's ever done. And he got fifth, like pretty good, but like still fifth. And then, yeah now going into an even harder race, like seemingly more outside of what has been his lane for running. Why should I think that he's going to be in the top five off of like, I looked at his training on Strava. It's good. It's very good. Yeah. But like, why would I pick that over like 10 other guys who've done five of those blocks or like three UTMBs or like, I just feel like if the weather holds out, Dan Jones has a chance. But if it becomes like a mountain survival race, I have question marks because he's one of those people kind of like I'd said earlier, where like the fitness is there. He's probably fit enough to win the race, but does he have the experience and kind of like the know all to know what to do at those particular moments? I mean, if he, if he's maybe so fit that he can just do what Tom Evans does the entire time and then outkick him in the last 200 meters. Yeah, that's how he wins UTMB. Yep, and w- w- agree across the board. Um, I want to say two things. The first is it is incredibly difficult to account for everybody and to 
give respect to every single elite athlete in this race. As you've said, the depth is deep. So I'm, I'm We're going to acknowledge this. We're going to miss so many people. Um, yeah. but a couple, a couple that I'll just say briefly, the first is if we're talking inclement weather year where snow is a factor, rain's a factor, cold's a factor. Yes. Robert, Robert Hajnal is a very interesting name. He, he notably got yes. second at this race back in 2018 when like every single American in the field dropped out, a lot of notable names dropped out and he was left from the wreckage to finish second. I think he's an incredibly tough runner. Look out for him. And then there, mm-hmm. there are a bunch of older guys in this race. Uh, I mentioned Ludo earlier, who's just tough as nails from hard rock, Ben Yacht, Marmy soul. That's who I've written down. Ben Yacht. He, got, he literally got six at UTMB last year. Yeah. And like, he's not like a wild card. Like Ben Yacht got six at UTMB last year. And then he went in one grand raid. This year, he's up in the ante trying to do the Hard Rock UTMB Grand Raid Triple. But we saw him at Hard Rock last year, and that dude is a savage. Savage. Like, dude, he was skipping aid stations. Who skips aid stations <laughs> at Hard Rock? Like, when it was it was hot out, and those aid stations are so far apart, and he's just, like, bypassing them on the other side of the road, and the aid station people are, like, flying down, being like, oh, my God, he's so delirious. He's missing the aid station. And he's just, like, basically flipping them the the metaphorical bird and being like, I don't need you, dude. If you can do that at hard rock. Yeah. I, 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 I bet on Ben Yad in a crappy weather year at UTMB any day, dude. Yeah. Love that guy. It's so, it's so cool when you get oh. a chance at these races to actually see these people in the flesh and what they're made of and all of their, just the actions they take at a station stuff. It's fascinating. Um, I think the only other name, I mean, there's a lot of names like, you know, Cannot overlook Hannes Namberger, uh, Germain Grangier, Katie Scheid's partner, uh, just won the 90K Marathon du Mont Blanc, fifth at Transvolcania, solid start to the year. He did DNF UTMB last year, but similar to Zach Miller. fifth the year before. Fifth year before and ninth in 2019. So, you know, he has nothing to prove. I think he, like Zach Miller, he could stand to take some risks here and, and maybe race to his true potential if it does exist somewhere on the podium. He has an interesting quote, though. He says in a recent Instagram post, I'm not here to battle, fight anyone, or conquer any kind of mountain. I just want to play, race, and find answers one week to go. So um, take that for what you will. Sometimes I have a hard time believing these athletes aren't motivated by competition and place, but that's a really good mindset to be in. Sounds like that's Mm -hmm. where he's at. And uh, he's done a lot of course recon, too, based on Strava. So very excited to see what he can do. Yep. Um, Javi Dominguez from Hard Rock is also... Is he in again? He's running the race. Oh, man. Um, so that's that's another one, and you're like 45 plus. He uh, looks so category good Category to go Rock. with Ludo. Um, Miguel Haras, another... Jean-Philippe. Wonders. Yep. He's like... Miguel Haras is in really good shape this year. Like, he's had some... Like, 2022, 2023 has been like a bit of like a resurgence for him. So he could shock some people at UTMB as he's like starting to figure out these like really longer races um gosh i think it was miguel harass who i sent you that 2012 north face 50 mile results yep. i think he won that one yep yep he won the north face 50 mile uh, miguel harass out kicking francois dehane in the north face 50 mile championships 2012 people like Long, well, hashtag I longevity I, yeah like that's good longevity um, yeah uh who else did i have oh pal capel he's the other one who's like 2019 the iconic wire to wire win at dnf last year was coming off it was 
We talked about this last year. Pau Capel, Tom Evans were both coming off of significant knee operations, and we were curious which of the knees was going to hold up, and it was Tom's. Yeah. Um, Pau sounds like much healthier. You know, he got fifth at Trans Grand Canaria in February. Like that's a solid result, but like, you know, he wants more. Um, someone who's like appears to be in much better shape than last year is Thibaut Garivier. Yep. Who got fourth at Worlds in Austria this year, sixth at Worlds in Thailand, 10th at UTMB last year, and then it was the 2021 CCC champ. Yeah, and he got 10th having acknowledged that he didn't eat anything from mile 15 onward to the end of the race. <laughs> That's insane. unhealthy. That's so bad for you. Insane. So, but like... So Tebow's had two good races on like very big stages being the last two world championships. He knows what it's like to win a race at UTMB, you know, being the 2021 CCC champs. Like, I think that's another person to look out for. Um, And then we have a whole slew of Americans that are very interesting. We have a very eclectic group of Americans this year at UTMB, I would say. Like, yeah, that was kind of the word that I put for them. And there always does seem to be, you know, 10, 15, 20 American men that on paper and historically are really strong athletes. And if they pace this correctly, if they execute on point, they have a fighting chance of being in the top 10. I think this is, we did talk about this offline. It'd be kind of fun to debate before we get into our like podium predictions and top, top five predictions of this list of men. A, how many do you think have a fighting chance of being in the top 10 and who will do it? And who are those people, do you think? Um, I just, like, I want to say four Americans in the top 10, but that's ridiculous. I said four as well. So, like, I'm, cha- well, I'm going to three because, like, four just seems egregious. Like, anytime it's over three of any nationality, it's going to be France. <laughs> like, <laughs> so I'm switching to three. Which is crazy because I have two Americans in the top five, which means that I'm only putting one more American in the top 10, which means I think a lot of Americans aren't going to have the days that they think they're going to have, which is always going to rub a lot of people the wrong way. But that's how it goes at UTMB. I have to make my picks People are not going to agree with them. You make your picks. I'll make my picks and I'll let you know what I think. But um, I want to learn a little bit more about a couple of these people. The main person being Ben Demon. 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 Yeah. Is it really Demon? Ben like Demon. Yeah. Fighting, like, fighting demons. We're going to like how many people are going to be battling demons out <laughs> on the race at UTMB? <laughs> I was trying, I wanted to save that for when we watch the race, but like, I'm just going to say that now. Just like, who's going to be battling demons? He is fascinating. He is. Like, does he, is he still in the random baller category? So I think Ben Demon is an example of somebody who is in the random baller category if you are oblivious to the European ultra scene, but he has done too much on the European ultra scene, I think, to be in that category. He's taken down a Hannes Namberger CR. He's taken down a Pal Capel CR. Sorry, a Zach Miller CR. He's beaten Pal Capel. He's beaten heavy hitters. He, like, leading into this race, he has beaten, quote unquote, ultra household names and 
beat them impressively. So yeah. I can't, I can't put him in the, I, I can only put him in that category if we're not paying attention to that scene, but um, yeah, he's a known entity. I guess the, the biggest question mark is this is the, this is going to be the most competitive race that yes. he's done. Yes. Um, he's done races that have like one or two heavy hitters yep. and they're hard races, but this one has like 30 heavy hitters. Um, the one thing that I think Ben has on his side is having run the grand raid. Most people who know the grand raid will say it's harder than UTMB. Yep. It's nice for UTMB not to be the hardest course that you've ever done. Yeah. Got to say one more thing. He's beaten Courtney. I think, I think it's, it's a, it's a badge of honor to say you've beaten Courtney. And I think he finished one place ahead of Courtney at grand raid. Okay. Yeah. That's a pretty, that's a pretty big deal considering Courtney who's like got, probably got a good shot looking at like top 10. Top 10. I know. I know. At, at UTMB. Um, we'll talk about that more tomorrow. So Ben, yeah, Ben, Ben Demon's very fascinating. His training block has looked great. You know, just a solid string of like 20 hour weeks, 30 grand avert. I love how 20 hour weeks are the new 15 hour week. Like before it used to be like 15 hour weeks, 18 hour weeks. Now it's just like, if you're not throwing down deuces, <laughs> like get out of here. <laughs> Agreed. <laughs> um, so that's, that's fascinating. Um, you know, you know, it's, I think we got to talk about Tyler green for a sec. I mean, Tyler, this is Tyler's second attempt at the double last year. It did not go too well. Um, I w- I mean, I guess I would just chalk it. He blew up at UTMB last year. He got like, he started out kind of slow conservative and then never sped up. You know, I think he finished somewhere in the forties this year though. Gosh, he's like a whole different runner this year in terms of just like training harder. I'm going out more aggressive. I'm treating every race. Like it's my last, they've been in Europe for six weeks because like, this is just the spot in their lives where Tyler and Rachel and little Lou yep. were able to make that happen. They were like, let's just do it. Tyler's been over there and I've, I've gotten just like some insider. Just, I'm a fly on the wall insider. <laughs> Tyler is, Tyler is taking this race very seriously. And like, yes. like he's like all in for this race. And like, I think, I think that's great. I think, um, and I'm not saying this is the case with Tyler, but you know, Tyler, Tyler's record at a race like Western States and all of the races required to be excellent at Western States is unassailable. I think that there, for athletes like Tyler, there can be the motivation to also be considered not just great at Western States, but great at these, you know, premier ultra trail, like mountain in the mountain races. Um, he did it at Trans Grand Canary earlier this year, sort of like tested and yeah. proved his medal there. And, um, great run there. This is a slightly bigger stage, but, uh, you know, like to, to put like a capstone on a career, it'd, it'd be nice to just like finish it up here with a top 10 at UTMB. And I'm very excited to see if he can do it. Yeah. Tyler doesn't want to be a one trick pony. You know, he doesn't want to just be like that Western States guy. And I don't think Tyler has to be, I think Tyler can be very good at UTMB. Agreed. I don't, I don't think like in terms of challenges for Tyler at this race, I don't think it's the big stage. I don't think Tyler will crumble under the pressure. I don't think it's a lack of fitness. I think the biggest question mark I have for Tyler is just like, how well will he be able to manage inclement weather in the mountains? 
I agree. And I would, the only thing I would add to that is just historically, the odds are not in his favor for back-to-back top 10s. 25% of the men that have attempted this double have top 10 to both races. So he, he would be somewhat of an anomaly if he could do it, but, um, intelligent, you know, high IQ racer. So if anyone can do it, it's him. Yep. Someone who does have great big mountain experience and is one of my favorite American names on this list is my friend, Jeff Mogavero. Um, I am very excited to see Jeff race. We saw him race at broken arrow earlier this year, um, was not afraid to be a little bit more aggressive. Like he led that whole first lap before fading just a little bit, but like, I I feel like in in 20, like halfway through 2022 and into 2023, Jeff is a completely different runner. He's actually been on the ultra scene for quite some time. Yeah. He's like totally leveled up though in the last 18 months. And part of that's, you know, really establishing a home base over in Missoula. He's got a nice group of training partners over there. I mean, Adam Peterman is one of his main, main training partners. I mean, Jeff hasn't been able to run with Adam in a, in a bit as Adam's still coming back from injury, but man, Jeff is fit and he's good at mountains. I guess the, the one thing I wanted to point out was his Sierras and all result. So he just got 14th at Sierras and all yeah. like 10 days ago or whatever. He, Jeff was the top runner there who's also racing utmb there was a lot of people who were running utmb uh who ran sierras and all a lot of people do it as a tune-up jeff was the top person there he was also the top american amazing by the, the way dude is fit super fit uh trails and tarmac he ha- at least has been a trails and tarmac athlete for a while right yeah ryan Gelfi coached him for a while i think jeff is self-coached self-coached now, now. okay um but i mean i can only attribute everything he knows to the genius that is Ryan Gelfi. <laughs> and I would just say, so he got 16th at UTMB last year, but when you run 2250 at UTMB, historically running sub 23 hours is going to put you in the top 10 at that race. So like he just happened to run a great time in a year when the field was loaded, really impressive debut there. And I think just from the talks we've had with him on runs and stuff, I think he's hungry and it was like, should have gotten it last year. I'll take care of biz mm-hmm. this year. Yep. He's a skier. Like he gets the mountains through hikers through hiker. Like I think he now is realizing he might have a little bit more speed than he thinks he does. Um, you know, with the, I know Sierra's and all still not particularly speedy of a course, but like it's only two and a half hours. Like, um, I'm excited to see it. 16th as a UTMB debut is pretty good. And that was like only a few months into what I'm saying, like the new, um, the new era of Jeff Mogavera, like he's in like the second era of his running now as like all in professional ultra runner. Like he was only a couple months into that last year. We're a whole year later now. Um, he's, he's really leveled up his game and he seems like he really enjoys what he's doing. So I'm excited to see what Jeff Mogavero does. Um, Your turn. Popcorn. Gosh. Yeah, I would echo all those. I mean, I'll just briefly cover a few more names here that interest me. Tim Tollefson. Mm-hmm. One of the Mr. more... Mr. Sunset Years. Mr. Sun, He's Mr. Sunset for saying Mr. That. Sunset Years. Mr. You know, uh, under, you know, coming full circle, underdog status again. One of the most decorated American males at this race ever. Two podium finishes, but four DNFs in a row. Does he 
break this quote unquote curse that some people have put on him. It seems like his mindset is as on point as it ever has been in his life. Uh, he's committed to completing the lap around Mount Blanc, finishing, it seems, no matter what. Has done some great training with Ida and, and Laney, it appears, in the last month. Mm-hmm. I think this is the first time he has ever headed over to Chamonix quite early to recon the course. Not that he necessarily needs it, but he did it. And um, I think he could be a dark horse here. you know. And I actually, I, I think, if I had to guess, I think he does like that status. I think it's a good place for him to mm-hmm. be in. I think actually, I, I bet if you talk to a lot of elite athletes, they would say, maybe I do miss that brief moment in time before anyone knew me, before I had any results to my name, when I could compete in that style. And maybe he's back in that again. Um, so, so here's a storyline that I'm just going to create that I want to, I want it to parallel so bad. Tim and David, last time they were training together, like on the same team, was like 2015 in Europe when the UTMB Billy Yang movie mm-hmm. happened. And David ran UTMB and got third. Tim ran CCC and got second. They're flip-flopping this year, whereas Tim's running UTMB and David's Ooh. running CCC. They have They've been having a great time yep. playing in the mountains. They've been in Chamonix for almost a month, just getting in some nice training. They've got that small town, like that small team vibe again. Like the, the craft trail team is putting off a lot of old school Nike trail team vibes just with like, do, do they have team dinners? Like, like every night, like they just like hang out yeah. and like they're good buddies, like Tim and like Ida and David and like a row, like they just all go on big long runs together. And like they're, they're the manager and like their main photographer are at every single race. Like they're just showing up, like being supportive for each other. We saw Tim at Western States. Like I like the vibes there and I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm fingers crossed for like a similar 2015 storyline for both of them. Well said. Only thing I would add to that is, in addition to all that positivity, more positivity in the sense that it seems like right at the last moment when he needed the real estate to put in like a three or four week training block for this race, the injuries that I think he was dealing with in June and early to mid July resolved themselves. And I think from like the last week of July onward to about now, he's put in what looks like the training you need to do at the very least to put yourself in the mix and you add that on top of just his historical base in the sport um i think he's in a good spot yeah and like a new outlook on like just the way he's running like he even said it too he's like yeah i'm like it's been just like all about supporting people and like finding joy and running in different ways like is it gonna work i don't know maybe i run better just hating everyone but we're gonna <laughs> find out i so. got I got one one thing I want to say about Walmsley and that I'd love for you to respond to. And then I think we should get into our, our picks for this race. Uh, in one of his recent yep. Instagram posts, by the way, he's he's mostly gone Strava dark. He's mostly gone media dark. I, I had actually reached out asking for mm-hmm. an interview. I, I, he, you know, he said he maybe post-race, but not interested. I, I'm not sure if he'll do one with Free Trail. Not sure if he'll do one with I Run Far. But to date, as of the 26th, he's been media interview dark as well. He said in Instagram, quote, I won't sugarcoat it. I'm getting pretty excited to race soon. I'm really happy with where my fitness is at and how my energy is feeling at this point. End quote. Also said in a previous quote, it was a nice, tranquil running camp, training camp in Beaufortain, his current hometown. 
I know that you said at the top of the episode that this is not anybody's race to lose, but is this the best chance that Jim Wamsley has in his career to win UTMB? Why or why not? I mean, I just don't know why this year is any better chance than last year. Like he was less injured last year. Like that leads me to believe he was probably fitter last year. I mean, he's got one more year of experience, but like last year, didn't he have enough years of experience? Like, I don't know. Like I'm, I'm worried that getting hurt when not getting hurt didn't win. Why is getting hurt and then putting in a block going to win? Like he was able to do that with Western States in 2021 because he was just that much better than everyone at Western States. He hasn't proven that he's that much better than everyone at UTMB. So I'm I'm really on the fence with Jim. I'm going to be one of those people that's probably in the minority that like doesn't think Jim has a better chance of winning this year than last year. I think Jim had a better chance of winning last year because he seemed fitter last year. He was healthier last year. Yeah. That's just, that's where I stand with Jim. I hope he proves me wrong, but I just don't know if one good training block leading up to the race is good enough to win this race. Do you think from a legacy standpoint that this is another year where if it's anything less than a win, there's something to, to criticize there because of the potentially has to win and how much effort he's put into the race. Like if, if, you know, a week from today, you and I are on the mics again and we are Monday morning quarterbacking this race and Jim got third, you know, and like Tom Evans took second and, and Matt Chiu took first. Are we saying like, damn, like what gives, you know, like, w- like what are your thoughts there? Jim's never been on the podium of UTMB. If he gets on the podium, that's a big deal. Yeah. Like if Jim gets third this year, that's an improvement over last year. It's an improvement over 2017. Like if that's what it takes to keep chipping away at the win, that's a good race. Like that's a good race. Like if Jim runs his best race, doesn't blow up and five people beat him, Jim better be proud of that because that's execution. Like you can't control what other people do. Yeah. Um, it just means he wasn't fit enough, but you know, I think if Jim gets second or third, that's a huge deal. And like, is Jim going to be the top American? Like potentially no, like he has like more competition than ever from just his fellow countrymen. His colleagues. Yeah. Yeah. Like I think it's, I think Jim's going to have to battle even harder than last year. It's only going to get harder each year. I agree. Who are yeah. your, who's your, uh, okay. Two questions for you. Who's your top five. And then I don't think we should go into the broader top 10, but how many Americans do you have in your top 10 when you fill out your fantasy free trail picks later this week? So I've got three Americans in the top 10. Um, I think it's just going to be, it's going to be like 2018. There's going to be a lot of carnage. Um, there's going to be some risks that are made leading to blowups. There's going to be some conservative starts that are going to lead to conservative finishes. Um, I think, I just think we're, we're only going to, yeah, we got a lot of Americans, but like, I think we're only going to see like three get in the top 10, which is actually very good. You know, to even have one in the top 10 is pretty good, but I think we'll see three. I've got two Americans in the top five. Um, 
probably I'm either going to get dead last in free trail or I'm going to win. You know, that's how my picks are going to be this year. Um, fifth place. I have Tyler green. He is not my top American. I think, wow. Yeah. I think, I think the, the I think it's just, I don't know. I don't know how it's going to, how he's going to end up in fifth, whether it's going to be going out in 20th and running his way up to fifth or being in like, actually, no, that's, I don't think Tyler will be higher than fifth place at a point during the race. Like, I think he'll start out, you know, probably in the twenties or thirties last year, he started out like a hundred and he'll move all the way up to fifth place. I think my fourth place is just a fun one because I just want to see it happen. Benyat Marmasol, an improvement over last year and just like confidence riding from hard rock just comes in. He's just going to like, just go for it. Like he might not use any aid stations this year at UTMB. He might just go start to finish unsupported. To that point in, I would love to see data on the history of the hard rock UTMB double. And if the completion rate and success rate is higher than for the elites that have done the Western UTMB double, that'd be very interesting. Yeah, that would be interesting too. I mean, I know it's probably quite a bit smaller number, but um, it's not zero though. Not zero. Um, I guess the last person to do the hard rock UTMB double was Killian last year. He did it pretty well. Yep. Love that, but pick, I got Ben Lo- Love Benyat. Love the Benyat pick in fourth because I'm I'm going I'm going for like mountain people this year. Third place. This is my wild card, and I think he's ready to make that jump and just have that breakout performance. We've seen it at UTMB before. We've seen just breakout performances happen. Jeff Mogavero, podium, top American. Wow, I'm ready to see it. Like I would say, like it would probably be as big of a shock. Or like surprise is like David Laney's third place in 2015. Um, you know, but again, like it's, it's not anything that hasn't happened. You know, this is something Jeff could do. Um, you know, we've got, we've got eight Americans that could be on the podium. I'm picking Jeff. Second place. I've got Tom Evans. I think he he improves by one spot, but I just, I don't think he's going to get the win. Um, because you know who I think is going to rob the everybody and steal the thunder and take the trophy home. Who do we need to file a police report against for this steal? Germain Grangier. Wow. I think Germain's going to win the race. Why? I just like the way his racing progression has gone this year. He's his partner just won the race last year. Yep. They've got the championship vibes. DNA. Um, what did he, he won, um, him and Katie won races like the same week of Western States. Yeah. He won mar- the 90 K marathon du Mont Blanc and she, yeah, he won the 90 K and, and second then, at States. Or Katie got second at yeah. States. Like they're doing, what they're doing for the running is clicking. Yeah. Um, they're tr- living and training you know, pretty monastically too out there in probably, like the rural mountains. Yeah. And Germain like understands the big mountains. And I think this is going to be one of those like survivalist type years at UTMB and probably got a bone to pick 
after DNFing in 2022, but he's got a fifth in 2021. It's not like he doesn't understand what it's like to be at the very top of, you know, a field like this, like being in the top five is a huge deal. So I'm going for Germán as the, I don't know, I guess people would probably say like the upset of the, of the year to win this race. I really like those picks. I really like that logic or that rationale. Yeah, the Mogavero, I mean, it, the, your evolution on Mogavero is not not too drastic. We were talking in, at Western States and you were saying that you thought this year Mogavero was a lock for top 10 at UTMB. So to make that jump to podium, that's, you know, I mean, that's significant. But I, yeah, I, I have three Americans in the top 10. I've got Tyler Green. I've got Jeff Mogavero, both of them sitting in the back half of the top 10. And I've got Walmsley inside mm. the top five. I'll talk more about that in a second. I will say I'm gonna. Ha- I have bubble top tens. I think Tyler is a bubble top ten, along with our sometimes collaborator friend of the podcast, Jeff Colt. You've been yeah. singing Jeff Colt's praises from the mountaintops for a long time. I think that this guy is a much better runner than even he advertises himself as. I think his stock is similarly rising, maybe not at the same clip as Mo Gavero's, but we can't forget that at Western States this year, Jeff Colt was one correct move at the river away from maybe racing himself onto the podium. I think he just you know who was pacing strategically. Him? Who was pacing him? Jeff Mogavera. Mogavera. Oh my <laughs> So this yeah. guy is a fa- he's a fantastic that's a that is great. I've totally for- I overlooked yeah. that. I forgot that. But anyways I think Jeff, you know, look out for Jeff here. Like, you know, look out for Jeff. So anyways, my top five Number five, Petter Engdahl. Four, Thibaut Gaivier. And I just think Thibaut has the DNA to be successful here. He raced last year to 10th place with two hands tied behind his back from a nutrition standpoint. Um, so fourth place for Thibaut. I've got Jim Walmsley making an incremental step forward from last year's fourth place finish and finally getting on the podium in third. I'm actually curious to hear okay. why you think he's going to be missing it all together. I'll ask you in a second. I've got Tom Evans also in second. And I don't see this as theft. Mm. I think Matthew Blanchard takes first place. I think this is the arena where Matthew Blanchard, Matthew Blanchard is designed to race his professional career. He had maybe the second best performance all year with a second place finish requiring Killian to overtake him after Valerie with like what 10 K left in the race to win. I mean, he, he really raced Killian to the limit. Um, I think Western States was his performance. There was kind of a question mark, but maybe it's just the case that he is meant more for the mountains and not so much these leg speed dominant races like Western States. I've got him finally winning there. We did receive an outsized number of messages to the single track IG saying, you know, why are people disrespecting Matt Chiu? Why is everyone saying that if Walmsley wins, it's an asterisk year? No, it's not. As we both said, like there are heavy hitters in this race, Matt Chiu perhaps being the biggest one of them. So yeah, I've got him winning. But going back to you with Walmsley, why do you have Walmsley missing out? I mean, the main reason I have Walmsley missing out is because he was hurt earlier this year. Yeah, like that's why I'm just like, I, I, that's why I'm like, just I'm skeptical of, you know, he was hurt, he missed time, and now he's kind of had to cram a block, and I just wonder if that is going to allow for the durability that you need to succeed at a race like this. Um, like I have no doubt the fitness is there for Jim, but I worry that the durability might not be. I mean, we saw even last year a fully healthy Jim who had a full winter of skiing and a full summer of mountain running 
go in and like the legs, the quads, they still started to blow, yeah. you know, with like 20 miles to go. So I'm just like, I don't know how this year can be better. Um, my high altitude theory is why I don't have Zach Miller in the top five. Yeah. I'm just, I, it's gosh, it's such a big block. I just don't know how there can be anything left for race day. Um, again, I hope they prove me wrong. I don't want anyone to run bad. Yeah. I'm just like saying like, this is what I see and this is what I think is going to happen, you know? Um, and then Matthew Blanchard, the reason why I don't have him in the top five is cause like the Western States performance was all right. And I would love to know if it's like, did he only get six at Western States? And like, he ran like two twenty one in a marathon, like not too long ago. Yeah. Like, he had a very fast marathon, like before Western States, like leg speed is good. Um, it was Western States sixth. And like, it just, he, he looked like not, he looked uncomfortable the whole day. Yeah. Is that because he was training like he was training for UTMB and he's putting all of his cards in the UTMB basket or like, was that what he had for Western States? And now he had to come, now he has to come back and do the double on a short block. Like, yep. Is how much fatigue is there? You know, that's, those are my question marks yep. with, with, with Blanchard. Like, I just, I don't know. He might be tired and that's okay. I know he doesn't want to be, but you know, that's why I've got, I've got Tom in second and Tyler in fifth. Uh, neither of them are improving upon their Western States positions. Bottom line, there will be fireworks. This field is not shallow. It's extremely exciting, and there are a lot of different scenarios. The the combinatorics here of who can win, who will DNF, who will blow up, who will be resilient is infinite, and uh, it'll be qu- interesting. I love your picks. My picks are kind of a crapshoot, but uh, it'll be fun to see it all play down.